are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about what Draymond Green's extension means for him and the Warriors, and Vince Carter coming back for a record 22nd season. But let's start with this all-decade team that was assembled over at NBA.com, where they put together a first, second, and third team for the best players from the 2009 to 2010 season to last season. That is what they are calling the decade. You could check out the entire list over at the site. They did two backcourt players and three front uh, front court players per team. The first team is, and there's not many surprises here, Stephen Curry, James Harden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard. The second team, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin, Carmelo Anthony. And the third team, Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, Paul George, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. David, let's start with the people on the team. Do you have any issues where the players ranked? Because I'll tell you, I, I do have a problem with ranking Russell Westbrook as high as they did. Russell Westbrook making the second team, his his credentials, and they break down the stats for the decade. So it's not their career stats, it's their stack it's their stats for 2009 to last season. Westbrook had eight All-Stars, eight All-NBAs, 23.8 points per game, 7.3 rebounds per game, 8.7 assists per game. They're not listing, obviously, the MVP there, but that had to be considered, I would imagine. But they are basically rewarding Russell Westbrook for the thing that Russell Westbrook always gets rewarded for, and that's just putting up a lot of points, a lot of rebounds, and a lot of assists, but not necessarily winning a whole lot of games and certainly not winning any championships while Dwayne Wade and Kobe Bryant are sitting there on the third team, both had won a championship, at least one championship. In the case of Dwayne Wade, two championships in this last decade. And their product and their production is nothing to to not care about. I, I think that both of them should have been over Russell Westbrook. I think this list is perfectly indicative of where we are in the offseason. It's just it's a way of generating interest, of getting people to talk about something that doesn't ultimately mean anything. Because this list is so hard to parse through, and it's so inconsistent as to what's being rewarded and what's not. And you make a really good case about Westbrook, that his statistics are overinflated. Um, he's a fine player, a good player, an impactful one at times. But there are moments there where he just he hurts his team almost as many times as he helps them. Uh, and he certainly hasn't won at an all-time level. And I think that's something that's to be taken into consideration. Because you look at all the other players on, the, on these lists, and uh, for the most part... A lot of them have done a significant amount of winning. Now, I mean, you can make that case, though, about Harden as well. He hasn't won at a high level, but you think he's earned his spot on the first team. He's earned it because of the the just the offensive production we've never seen before. I do think, and here's the thing to me, and I don't know how the NBA.com people over there put this thing together. And you're right. This is just content creation. Look, they put this together, and now it gives us something to talk about on this show. And I'm very happy that they did that. But I do have a concern that they are looking at the production more than anything, just like these counting stats, you know? And I, when I think about the team of the decade, and this is not an official reward by, like, they don't get anything for being on this list, but I do think that thinking about stuff like this matters. And for James Harden, I do think of him as maybe one of the five most important players of this last decade, given just the insane amount of production that he's had. Yeah, he hasn't won on a high level, but he's led a team to a conference finals. They almost took down the Warriors that year. What he is doing is absolutely insane and directly translating to winning games. And I don't know if I could say that for Russell Westbrook. We always have that question about Russell Westbrook. I don't want to turn this into the Russell Westbrook debate, 
But that's not a question with James Harden. We don't question whether or not James Harden can win games for his team. We know that. We've seen that. We don't know that for Russ. That is the question with him. Um, And so I don't have a problem with Harden being on the first team at all. I I think the production translates to winning in that situation. Now, if there's one person on that first team that's questionable, to me anyway, I think it's Kawhi Leonard. And I know there's going to be a lot of recency bias considered he's had an incredibly historic season here. He's guided the Toronto Raptors to a championship. And, of course, he he stole the offseason by, you know, forcing a, a move to the Los Angeles Clippers. But at the same time, I mean, you look at his statistics, they're not particularly glaring. There's there's not anything there where you say, oh, wow, his production has been so incredible, he has to be on there. He's had a couple of fine seasons. He's been to a all-star team three times, uh, three all-NBA selections. But he's only been playing for a few seasons, too. It's not like he's had such an incredible wealth of production or an incredible overall impact over the course of the whole decade as they're counting it. It's, you know, a number of seasons, one of which was robbed of because of injury. Um, I'm not quite sure what his. I'm I mean, not he sure was what a, they're looking at. He was a non-factor for the first half of this decade, as they define the decade, from 2009 right. to 2014. He wasn't important in the league at all, you know. Right. And and you're right. You, ta- you you're exact. What are you rewarding here? Are you rewarding production in the case of Russell Westbrook or even James Harden on the first team, or are you rewarding prestige and peak? Performance and championships, because if you're rewarding championships, well, then Dwayne Wade and Kobe Bryant should both be over Russell Westbrook for at least a second team. And Kawhi Leonard has been a factor for really three years of this decade, because like you said, he was he didn't play for that one year because of the hamstring thing. Uh, I guess because he's won two NBA Finals and has won the NBA Finals MVP in each of those two seasons, like I guess you have to put him on but then again, like, wouldn't you argue that with these other players who are not even not only on this list and maybe wrongly placed, but players not even on this list, like players that they didn't deem worthy of the, one of the first three teams? I think Kawhi is one of the most three important or one of the most five important players of the last decade. But this whole thing is wildly inconsistent. That's a good point. So you bring up a good point there as far as players that weren't chosen on the list. Do you have a list of players that you think should have been added to the, this uh the three yeah, all teams. Huh? I, I I was surprised not to see Draymond on this list, and this goes back. Okay, I know he only had he only averaged seven points per game last year. He didn't, he's not been the most productive player, but he's willfully done that. He has taken that back seat, but he he's also won Defensive Player of the Year. He is arguably the greatest, most versatile defender we've ever seen in this league. And when I think of the most important players of this last decade, I absolutely think of Draymond Green because of the way that he has influenced the small ball revolution. And I think, if you just think about the NBA storylines in general of this last decade, I mean, it is pretty telling that there's not a single center on these three teams. They didn't put any centers on this list. And you could credit Draymond Green and the Warriors for a lot for a lot of that. The reason why centers, the way we used to know them, have largely died out. And I'm just shocked that they would not put Draymond Green on this list. Again, if it's just production, it's just production. And by the way, if you're only basing this on points, rebounds, and assists, I don't know why I even go through this exercise because there's no analysis involved. That's just literally calculating stats and putting a list together based off of whatever the calculator says. That's not analysis and does not is not worthy of an article in my opinion. But it doesn't also seem like they did that because they put Kawhi on the first team. So if you're going to reward that kind of impactfulness, why not put Draymond Green on any of these three lists? I mean, I look at a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge who's been steady and fine. I mean... But he's not been I, – I mean, for as steady as he's been, he's been just as unremarkable. Like, I don't look at LaMarcus Aldridge and think of him as, yeah, I'm going to definitely remember him from this set of players from this decade 20, 30 years from now. I'll definitely remember Draymond. 
Yeah, I mean, Draymond's production over his first two seasons was really poor. He wasn't getting much playing time at all. He didn't have a specific role. He was behind all-star David Lee. So that's another thing, too. If you're counting all-star as your as the barometer, the criteria for your selection of this team, there are I mean, there have been some questionable all-stars over that last decade right. as well. David Lee among them. I mean, he was a fine player in New York, but at the same time, uh, you know, I don't think anybody thinks of him being a more impactful player than Draymond Green, particularly once Steve Kerr was able to unlock what Draymond was able to do right, right. And, uh, and use all that versatility. But I'll give you another name, somebody who, who precedes Draymond as far as revolutionizing basketball and changing the center position forever, and that's Chris Bosh. I mean, he's absolutely a productive player. His numbers dipped when he joined the Big Three in Miami, but that doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the fact that he was an impactful player in Toronto. He averaged 24 points during that first season of this alleged decade that they're counting here. And that production dipped, of course, when he went to Miami. But he changed the way teams play defense. He he stretched out his shooting ability to beyond the three-point arc. Um, As he was in Miami, he helped him win two championships. So. He has I, all the I, criteria there. And, and I broke down his stats, too, for that, that one year in Toronto and then the ensuing seasons, the rest of those seasons, the rest of his career in Miami. 19 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, 1.9 assists, and then almost one steal and one block per game. He made an all-star in each of those seven seasons. And he put up that kind of production. He made seven all-stars, and he hasn't even played the last three years of the decade, as they define yeah. it. Uh, he, he made an all-star in each one of those seasons. Also, by the way, won two championships. I would absolutely have Chris Bosh over Aldridge on this list. I would have Kevin Love over Aldridge on this list. I would argue that Al Horford. I don't know how much they weighed him, but if you were saying, hey, construct a team of the best forwards and, and, and front court players of this last decade, I would have I would probably end up drafting Horford over LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't mean to just attack LaMarcus Aldridge, but there's also a guy... Like Giannis Antetokounmpo, very much like the Kawhi argument. I, does he really belong here? Are they projecting forward a little bit? Now, Giannis had a great season, but it was one MVP season last year. Are they rewarding him too much for that? Yeah. Yeah, Dame Lillard was a name that I saw being tossed around yeah. there after in 2012. But he's been, I mean, he's arguably much more productive than LaMarcus was when they were teammates in, in uh, Portland. Oh, yeah. And he's certainly been much more productive in the years since. Uh, you know, it's just... It's hard. Again, we, we, we kind of you have to take this list with a significant grain of salt here, but it's just hard to understand what the determining factors were. And, and as you pointed out, there doesn't have any kind of analysis attached to the uh, to the post. So it's just kind of like, well, these are the names that I came up with, but it seems kind of random. It's good to argue back and forth. I, I just I don't know what the ultimate point yeah. of the list was. I just was, I don't even agree with a number of their choices. It was here, to so. get us to. to to debate it and uh and we're done debating it now Draymond Green signed an extension with the Warriors we'll talk about what that means for them going forward but first we'll take a break you're listening to Locked On NBA fantasy football players make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football you're just using the same advice if you're listening to the same stuff as everybody else Vinny is a rising star and you'll want to get in on this now before everyone else does It's Locked On Fantasy Football, and it's on the Locked On Podcast Network. Vince Carter will play for a record-breaking 22nd season. We'll talk about if we care later on, but first. Draymond Green and the Warriors reached a four-year, $100 million contract extension over the weekend, which brings his total contract to five years, $118 million. Green would have been a free agent next summer and could have left money on the table by signing this extension now, now, David, there was a world where this 
this could have been a point of contention. I think that after Draymond signed with Clutch, a lot of people thought that it would be. It turns out, though, that Draymond valued being with the Warriors over a payday because it's possible he could have gotten close to a max next summer. It's not a good free agent class. Draymond was one of the standout names of that free agent class. Maybe there was a team like the Knicks or another team that could have given him something closer to $30 million versus what he's making now, which is a little bit more than $20 million per year. But I do think that this shows a certain amount of humility that playing with the Warriors, with Steph and with Clay, means as much to Draymond as he means to the Warriors. Well, I, I'm not so sure I see it the same way. Like, do you really think he could have commanded that much, even in a weak free agency class? Because I just, I feel like as impactful as Draymond is, and I think if there's any argument as to why he should have been included in that list in the previous segment, it's the fact that he's getting paid $118 million over the next five years. You don't pay anybody who's not going to be an impactful player that much money. But at the same time, I just don't know that any other team views... We don't know, but now we'll never get the chance to find out. And you, I just, it does strike me as interesting that Draymond signs with Clutch. Clutch, this, this daunting formidable agency now, you know, the LeBron James crew over there that likes to get as much money as possible for their clients, but Draymond basically just saying, "No, I'm good. I'll just take this. I don't even want to I don't even want to dip my toe in the water. I don't even want to find out." But what would it have hurt to I mean, I guess he's valuing now, I guess, the long-term security of everything. Yeah. But he could have he could have just been a free agent next year and found out. Now he's never going to get to find out. You know, I think this year is an important one for Draymond because, and you're around the team a lot, you cover them very much during the finals and everything else, and I I think you've seen enough of him up close. But at the same time, you know, now it's kind of a, I don't think this is is a team that's going to step back at all, but, you know, they're going to, they're not necessarily going to have the same high expectations that they've had over the past couple of years. Um, He has an opportunity, as you mentioned before, to be productive with Clay nursing his injury. Um, he's going to be able to put up bigger numbers. He's he's in a situation where he's happy, he's content. Kevin Durant's gone. Whatever tension there was last year has moved on. Um, you don't have to worry about that. You keep the core of this team, the core that won, you know, for the most part, 73 games a few years ago, and now you can just kind of focus on enjoying basketball again. I, I think there's a premium on that. If there's a stability there, if it's because it's the Warriors versus any other team, I, I think they're all tied together. The reality is I just I, I think he just appreciates where he's at right now. I think he right. doesn't have to worry too much about what comes next, and, and that's more important at this stage of his career, especially for a role player like him, even if he's arguably one of the best role players in yeah. NBA. I mean, he's one of those, what coaches say, star in your role. He is the ultimate version of whatever that is. And I also yeah. think that... I mean, go back to what he said of Media Day. I mean, he was asked a lot during Media Day before this last season, Are you? is this extension going, the idea of an extension going to weigh on you throughout the season? Is the idea of just free agency going to weigh on you throughout the season? And he said repeatedly, no, it's not. Um, I'll cross that road when I get there now, which is, that, that is the PR speak. But he did say something telling Ben, and I think it bears true now, that it's not going to just be his decision alone, that he is going to make the decision with the Warriors and what makes sense for both parties. And I don't. It, it kind of came off to me, at least in the moment, being there as okay. That's a nice thing for you to say. Everybody's like kumbaya going into the regular season. Of course you are. Sure. Um, but it, that seemed to have been true. I mean, he could have just waited this. But I think he saw with what happened with Kevin Durant. Look, he is not going to command the type of attention that Kevin Durant would on a national scale in free agency. But I do think that after living through this, this the weight of of Kevin Durant's impending free agency through this last season and how much that that graded on that team and it did 
Who I just don't think Absolutely. he wanted to deal with it from a personal level. He's like, let, let, let's just sign this thing and move on with it. Because I am sick of free agency talk. And I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to deal with it for another five years. I'm good. Let's just sign this thing and move on. But you, let me, you let know, me pose a separate question here okay. in, in relation to this. You're paying this core of Clay, Steph, and, and Draymond, I don't know how many tens of millions of dollars over the next five years or so. And you're not necessarily going to be considered a, a strong contender for a title, even though I think they probably should be. You know, they have to build the rest of that roster around. They've done a pretty good job this year, obviously, with D'Angelo Russell, Willie Cauley-Stein, and others. But I'm not so sure that they're considering the same class, especially with Clay's injury, regarding whether or not they're going to be title contenders. Mm-hmm. In three or four years, if they're not contenders, do people start to turn on this team, especially with their move out of the Bay Area? I, don't, I don't think so, because... They are still doing the thing that we're not seeing around the rest of the league. It's funny. The Warriors are going to... They, they've been lambasted and attacked for taking Kevin Durant, right signing Kevin Durant and taking the easy way out. But now that Kevin Durant's gone, they're kind of like, hey, no, this is the core that we drafted. We drafted Steph. We drafted Clay. We drafted Draymond. This is an in-house thing that we built and developed. Um, I think people are going to do the opposite. Like As much as people hated the Warriors for like the last four years here, or three years... They might go the other way completely and say, we love the Warriors. They're the team that did it right. They homegrown their all, t- all their talent. Look at the Clippers. Look at the Lakers. Look at all these other teams that are not doing that. They're just signing free agents and trading all their draft picks for stars. The Warriors, meanwhile, are just keeping it together. I think okay. that they might go the opposite way. One more quick question then. Do we change our opinion of the Warriors now that they're, if they're not in contention over the next few years with this core intact? With Kevin Durant gone, is this a team that's going to be viewed as, oh, they only won titles or competed for titles because they had Durant, despite obviously what happened before KD joined the team? But does the the lasting impression of this team become a changed one where you don't necessarily consider the fact that they, they were without Kevin Durant for the first few years, that they only won because of Kevin Durant, and then without him, that they weren't able to win at a high level? I don't Do think that people judge the war to preserve... Their, their kind of legacy. I don't think that the Warriors need that championship. I think Steph Curry probably does. Would you agree with that? That's fair. That's fair. I mean, he's he's dealing with historic comparisons here. Yes. And I, Clay and Draymond are not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Instead of a job as a TV analyst, Vince Carter decided he wanted to write it out with the Atlanta Hawks for one more season. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Locked On NBA. The new Locked On NFL show is on fire. Last week, it was one of the most listened to NFL shows with expert analysis from former NFL scout Matt Williamson and host Brian Peacock, Locked On NFL is your daily podcast on all things NFL. Subscribe to Locked On NFL wherever you get podcasts. Vince Carter has agreed to a deal to return to the Hawks for his 22nd season in the NBA, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. That will break a record shared by Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Willis, and Robert Parrish. This is a pretty remarkable feat considering that Vince Carter hasn't been a productive player for five seasons now. And it's not like he's bringing championship experience to the table either, David. But teams keep paying him, and it's a pretty incredible accomplishment for him. 22 years in the NBA now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, if you're talking about a player's legacy here as we were with Steph, this is one that's going to be an interesting one. He's like... He's revered in certain ways because of his years in Toronto, obviously because of his feats as a slam dunk contestant. But a lot of those productive years for Vince feel particularly empty, and his teams just haven't won a whole heck of a lot, either in Toronto or in Orlando or New Jersey or anywhere that he was, really. So he's just never been considered 
a real winning player at, at the same time but doesn't now, it feel like he is like doesn't it feel like he keeps getting employed because they say oh we want his experience but like he doesn't have championship experience like he hasn't won at a high level it, it, right it is pretty it, it, remarkable to me that he is still in the league for kind of no reason and I, I could I know what the reason is and I want to get to that in a second but from the outside it doesn't seem like there's much of a reason. There is a superficial belief that Vince Carter brings winning experience, but he doesn't. He has no winning experience. Yeah, but you can bring experience and professionalism without it necessarily being tied to victory. That's right. And I think that's where Vince comes into play. And I remember specifically talking to Hawks head coach Lloyd Pierce back in April of this year about Vince's impact on the team. And he couldn't help but gush about the fact that Vince is an everyday player on this roster. Even at 41 years of age, he, he still goes practices hard he does whatever he needs to that he fits multiple roles in this team he's both a coach a, a teammate uh, an, an employee a mentor a friend all these kind of things that even in the orlando area which is you know it just happened to be where i was covering the team he was hosting them in orlando because he lives in that area and he had a big party for them the next day after they had lost the magic the night before and things of this sort and these kinds of things resonate, particularly with a younger team like the Hawks. Even though the Hawks have changed their roster around, they've added a little bit more veteran experience. A guy like Vince still adds that kind of longtime NBA experience. If it's not necessarily tied to winning, it's still tied to professionalism, showing up every day, and, and giving them an example of how to be productive. And I mean, Pierce still talked about the fact that he could contribute at a high level. He did shoot 39% from three point range on, on, on 4.2 attempts per game, wasn't a top scorer. Uh, but he's changed his game around. Obviously, he's no longer the athlete he once was. But that, that kind of production, I mean, he played 76 games, averaged almost 18 minutes per game. That's a pretty good role player. It just isn't sure. gaudy production. And, and the fact that it's Vince Carter. And, and understanding I, that he's 22 years in the league, like he's not getting better, you know? And so well, I, He absolutely isn't. But, I mean, <laughs> he can still play a little bit. And I think yes. you can't change the fact, you can't deny the fact also that in Atlanta, a team that has – historically struggled with attendance and things of that sort, a name brand like Vince Carter probably carries that absolutely some significance does. to it. That absolutely does. People remember the, the, the dunk contests and everything like that. There is some star celebrity power to that. Uh, and look, people say this all the time, but I think it's true. Um, getting to the NBA is tough. Staying in the NBA is tougher. Yeah, And that's what makes that. this very remarkable to me is that he has managed to stay in the NBA this long, where you look at a guy like Carmelo Anthony who just can't get back into it. And I don't, like, I know it's Vince Carter. I know he's a big name, but so is Carmelo. And he can't get into the league. He desperately wants to be in the league. And Vince Carter has no problem. I mean, he is turning down TV analyst jobs for the last 10 years, it seems like, to say, you know what? I'm just going to give it another round with Sacramento or Atlanta or whatever. I'm just going to go find another team. And it is a, it is a, it, it is a, it's a reflection of the way that he has changed his game, that he has been willing to evolve. And I think that comes across in his professionalism and his know-how. And I think back, uh, the NFL uh, had their Hall of Fame induction stuff over the weekend. And Ed Reed had, who was one of my favorite players ever, Ed Reed. And he, during his speech, was talking about just professionalism and how, um, you know, there's, there's certain things more than just what's on the field. Like, you're a professional. You're going to work. You know, you don't leave a mess at your locker after a game for somebody else to clean up. This is your locker. This is your locker room. Clean up your mess. Clean up after yourself. Just little things like that. And I think Vince Carter brings that 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 industry know-how to a team that is really important. And I think about uh, Jonathan Abrams' book, um, uh, 
Boys to Men or, or something, something to, yeah. I can't remember, I think I'm butchering the title here, Boys to Men, uh, and how that would, that was a really big issue for a lot of high schoolers making the leap. Not that they didn't have the talent, but they didn't know how to be NBA players. And Vince Carter, I think, teaches players how to be in the NBA professionally, what it means to be in the NBA, and how, and more importantly, to stay in the NBA. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you met Brent mentioned Carmelo because I'm curious now, you know, what's the difference between a Vince Carter and a Carmelo Anthony? Like, Vince Carter has never been known for his defense. He's not a good defensive player. He never has been, even when he was much more athletic and able. Humility. Carmelo's Humility. Issues. He is willing. No, he knows, no, no, no. He knows no, how to no. Step, I will no. argue that there is no humility from Vince Carter. No, no, no. I think I, I, humility I, I, in his practice that he knows how to step back. Like you said, like Vince Carter changed his game. He knows that he can't dunk as much as he used to. Carmelo Anthony still thinks he can go out there and score twenty a game. That yeah, was the issue fair. in Houston. That's why they cut him during the season. Like, well, you can't, and you're not going to. So this isn't going to work. Vince Carter has made it work. Um, but you're right. Like from a media perspective, I think it's very similar. Where they're both huge names. By the way, both are amazing with the media. That's I don't think that's not helped. I think that's helped both of them. I think that's the reason why people keep talking about Carmelo Anthony. But um, yeah, I do think it's just the humility in his practice. Specifically, I think it's a three point shot. To be honest with you, like that specific the fact that Vince can hit thirty nine percent of them while taking four per game is the ultimate difference maker. If Carmelo was a better shooter from long range, a consistent one. I mean, maybe the reputation is overstated as far as the 19-foot step-backs and things of that sort, but that's been the strength of his game while he was at his peak, and I think the fact that Vince has been able to adapt into a three-point heavy NBA is the, is the difference maker there. Like, I, I'm not, sure, I'm sure that Carmelo could be just as good a media presence, could just be as just as good a, a locker room presence, but the fact is that he's just going to take bad, inefficient shots, right. and nobody wants that on their roster. That's it for today. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Thanks for listening.